Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies, touchdown, 49ers. Hello, and welcome to another No Huddle podcast from 49ers Web Zone. I'm your host this week, Levin Black. I'm filling in for Zane, who is on vacation. I'm joined by Brett Rumbeck, who writes for the site. And uh, just real quickly, if you want to introduce yourself to our audience. Uh, yeah, uh, thanks for having me, Levin. My name is Brett Rumbeck. Uh, I've been writing for the Web Zone for over a year, year and change. I also uh, contribute to 49ers Hub and been doing that for uh, two years or so. I'm originally from Turlock, California. I uh, grew up there. Turlock High. I'm a Cal Lutheran graduate. Uh, spent some time in politics, and now I live in Boise, Idaho. Well, it's nice to uh, have you join us here. Uh, we got a lot to talk about. Uh, preseason is underway. We had uh, the second game played. Uh, a lot to talk about with that game. Some good, some bad. We're going to start with the obvious main topic, uh, which is bad. Uh, <laughs> Jimmy Garoppolo made his return after his knee injury from last season and uh, put it lightly, things did not go as planned. How concerned are you with Jimmy after his one for six, uh, perfect 0.0 QB rating performance? You know, I think Levin, we're all fans, even, even if we write for a fan site or, uh, uh, and sometimes I think our hope of a, of a real, killer performance clouds our reality. And I'm guilty of that just like anybody else. Yep. Uh, I want to go out and see stellar quarterback play. Uh, I want to see our running back rip an 80 yard run. Uh, you know, you missed that uh, in the off season. <clears throat> so, you know, Garoppolo hasn't played in a year and we need to be mindful of that reality, but it's still disappointing to, to watch uh, a one for six performance in a preseason game. Uh, and not have any meaningful statistics or any meaningful throws. I'll throw one back at you, though. <clears throat> at what point is an overreaction justified? Yeah, it's it, it's really hard to say with preseason. Uh, that that was one of the points I was going to make about it. Is uh, Kyle Shanahan of all the coaches in the NFL, he might be right at the top of the list for coaches who care the least for preseason. He said uh, earlier this year that. He gets all he needs out of practice and doesn't really care to play any preseason games because he just sees them as a risk to injury. And I think that's part of what was going on with uh, Jimmy there on Monday night. Uh, it just seemed to me that he made a lot of very quick decisions where he got the ball out to avoid a hit. And I don't mm -hmm. see that so much as him being scared to take a hit just on his own because uh, he's just not doesn't seem like that type of person. I'm betting he was given instructions with how much Shanahan fears injuries, um, which was confirmed after the game when he said he wished he could have played Garoppolo more, but he was scared of him getting hurt. But I think he was given instruction that it doesn't matter if you know that there's a guy open or what's going on. If somebody's bearing down on you, you get rid of the ball before you take that hit. You don't take a sack. Just avoid contact. Especially the interception. He threw that completely blind. Had no idea what it looked like because Bradley Chubb came unblocked. And to me, that's why my concern level's not 
all that high. I would say, you know, I went into the game with zero concern about Jimmy Garoppolo, despite his relative inexperience, despite a lot of people just thinking he's been this star quarterback already. But I would say coming out of it, maybe it went up a, the tiniest of ticks, uh, but maybe he's not fully developed yet. And just to to go a little more into that, that pick, uh, you know, it's hard to go back and watch some of the, the, the tape when, it, when all you have is the broadcast, but that looked like uh, a smack play that Shanahan calls. Uh, he had, I think it was Goodwin on that quick in-breaking route and then yeah. Burita up the seam. If you look at it, they almost looked on top of each other. Uh, you know, they almost collide, not collided, but they, at that moment of, of, of pick that seam route needed to be more inside. I'm not saying that that was ca- that caused the problem, but the route looked the route combo looked a little funky to me too. There just was a lot off. I mean, Bradley Chubb <laughs> came unblocked. There there's was a miscommunication on the offensive line, which you know Joe Staley confirmed uh, after the game. It, it seemed to me that the wide receivers, or the, I should say, the receivers with Brita and Goodwin, didn't run it quite right. And at the same time, there wasn't enough time for it to develop for them to get that separation and truly make their cuts where Brita, you know, clears it out going deep and Goodwin makes the cut to the sideline. And at the same time, Garoppolo's throw was very inaccurate. You know, on a throw like that, you would rather miss going outside to where only the wide receiver has a chance at it. And he missed well to the inside where Goodwin's having to try to come back for it. And it got picked because that's where the defender is. It, everything was off on that play. The offensive line, the receivers, yeah. and Garoppolo. That's a great point on that ball placement. I didn't think of that. That's a great point. Yeah, and that that's that's the part that concerns me is Garoppolo. It's what was most impressive to me about his play was just how accurate he really is. You know, he, he's not just giving the receiver a chance to catch it. He constantly hits the receiver in stride, hits the perfect spot where only the receiver has a chance when he's throwing into coverage. And even when he's rushed, he was able to do that. And I didn't see that in Monday's game. And that's the only reason why I have a tiny bit of concern is I didn't see the same uh, Garoppolo who just seems to be able to throw so accurately without even having time to step into his throws, which is one of the criticisms uh, he still has is that he doesn't always get his feet set correctly when he's making a throw. But uh, to me, it's just a busted play. It's not yeah, well, hopefully that one was just something he needed to do to shake off some demons and we'll see something better on Saturday. Yeah, and, and hopefully uh, coming up in the Chiefs game, we'll see a different Garoppolo and, and uh, also see maybe I'm hope I'm hoping he, he can play a little bit more, but we'll get into that later. Uh, staying with that game, though, we should really talk about one of the good things that happened in that second preseason game against Denver, and that would be the defensive line. It, it dominated, despite not having its presumed two edge rushers, starting edge rushers and Ford and Nick Bosa playing. What impressed you about the defensive line the most? This, this was, uh, the defensive line was really the highlight of the, of the 60 minutes I watched. Uh, and I had Solomon Thomas's name in my notebook quite a bit, uh, noting him playing inside and outside. Uh, 
he just seemed to be all over the field. I on uh, one play, I think it was Denver's first offensive possession. Thomas made a stop 19 yards downfield. Now you don't want your defensive line to do that, but I rewound it this morning and I was like, I, he just made a stop 20 yards downfield for no particular reason. Uh, he, uh, I saw him shed some of those guards, just blow right by him. He had a great play. Uh, I don't remember which possession. Um, Denver ran a screen to Flacco's right, I believe, and, or it might have been a toss, and Thomas knifed through the lead blocks right. and had a tackle for loss. So I thought he looked really great. Um, of note, I did see that uh, Pro Football Focus gave Thomas two grades one for playing inside and another playing the edge. When he was inside, Thomas had two quarterback pressures and had a 74.4 grade. Outside, he was a 60.3 with no quarterback pressures. It goes into exactly what uh, a lot of people have seen in Solomon Thomas. On the outside, he's very good at setting the edge and being there in the run game. But when it comes to being on the outside and getting any kind of pressure on the quarterback, he's just not very good at it. It's not his forte. He gets his quarterback pressures from the inside, which is why a lot of fans have been clamoring for him to play inside exclusively, not have to play outside anymore because, of course, fans tend to gravitate towards you know the quarterback pressures and things like that. They don't necessarily care so much about the run game or, or see it. It's not as easy to see because it's not as big of a play just stopping a, a run, you know, as a quarterback sack. But I I too saw that Solomon Thomas really stood out in that game. He set he set the edge another time on a play. They ended up on a tackle for loss. It was one of the ones that Tart got the tackle for loss, but it was Solomon Thomas pushing his guy into the backfield, setting that edge and making the running back cut back inside where Tart was waiting to get the stop. He really did impress, and he seems to be finally emerging and fulfilling all of that potential that he has. I would absolutely agree with that one. And, you know, the other, I, I'm sure you, you're in this boat, it's tough to watch preseason football in the third and fourth quarter sometimes. The, the <laughs> quality of play goes down, but the, the, the reserve defensive lineman just kept Denver's quarterbacks on the move the entire game. And Sala only was continuously rushing four men. I think I only noted three or four five-man rushes. I don't have my notes in front of me, but it wasn't very often. Uh, you had Kevin Givens getting pressure. Uh, the, I thought he played a, a, a very great game. Balawaga had a heck of a game too. Five stops, a sack, and seven combined tackles. Um, they were a real joy to watch in a, in a, in a preseason game, it was very, very, very good. Yeah, it was kind of the fulfillment of everything we had heard, not just in training camp, but in the joint practices between Denver and the 49ers uh, leading up to the game, that the defenses dominated, especially the defensive lines for both teams. And it was hard for the offenses to do anything. And, and like you said, it wasn't just the starters or the names that uh, 49er fans have really gotten to know over the years. It was also the the guys that back them up, the guys on the lower end that are fighting for roster spots. You know, the guy that uh, I had down that impressed me the most was Contavious Street, who mm -hmm. had four tackles and one and a half sacks. You know, he's 
un- the undisputed strongest player on the defensive line, according to multiple players on the team. But he he's shown that he also has the skill to get to the quarterback. You know, being strong doesn't necessarily lead to sacks because you still still have to have that burst to get to the quarterback before he can get rid of it or get away from you before you can get to him, get hands on him. And he really shows that potential. You know, he, he was he wasn't drafted all that high, but that's because he had the knee injury. Prior right. to his injury, he, there was talk that he might be a first round pick, and it seems like he he's still very raw. You can tell that he's got a lot to learn, but you can also see that potential and that he could really be somebody that in the future becomes a prominent player for the 49ers. I'm really glad you brought Street up because I also had him uh, just below as well with the same statistics you brought up. So yeah, I, he was a real joy to watch as well. And that leads into the next thing of, you know, the defensive line is one thing, but the defense as a whole for the 49ers, where do you see them? I kind of see them pretty confidently as being a top 10 defense this coming season. How confident are you that they can get there? I think I've noted in a handful of web zone articles uh, how excited I've been to, to watch the defensive line over the past two seasons. And I, it just hasn't quite come to fruition yet. You, you know, Buckner's played very, very well, but then Thomas hasn't. Uh, Armstead had a great season last year, but they struggled at the edges. And now I think, I think this prophecy is finally going to come true in this third year. On paper, um, especially in the, in the box, the front seven, uh, they have the talent to be, in, the, in my opinion, to be in the top five. And I think further, we haven't seen this defense in its uh, full capability yet, and neither has the NFL, which makes the 49ers a great mystery. We don't know what Ford and Bosa look like on the edges. We don't know what a, an interior rotation of Armstead, Buckner, Thomas, Street uh, look like. What do the linebackers look like with Warner and Alexander on the field? Does Sala blitz that A-gap more? Does he get crazy and bits, blitz the C-gap? Um, I think injuries aside, behind them, it's a matter of executing the coverage properly. I have done a number of diagrams from last season on the 49ers secondary. Just I don't know what they're doing or how they're covering. I'm not Clearly, I'm not privy to a playbook, but right. as a football player, I know that covering f- uh, one man with four players is not a proper coverage, uh, nor is it when your safety drops 20 yards behind the field, behind, you know, way, way too deep, and they're getting intermediate 15-yard, uh, the offense is getting 15-yard uh, gains. So the team can have a top defense on paper, but it doesn't mean much if the secondary can't quite keep up. The secondary is... The unquestioned biggest question mark on the team, the thing that could hold this defense back. But so far, the the signs are positive. Uh, you know, Sherman has fully rebounded. Uh, he said himself that uh, he truly feels like himself this year and has been uh, reportedly as dominant as ever in practices. But then you also have Witherspoon has stepped up. You know, he he's become more like he was as a rookie, that that promising player who truly has a lot of potential because he's he's such a big corner who's also athletic and he's really seeming to step into that number two role and, and really becoming a shutdown corner in his own right. I saw him make a couple plays on, on Monday night in that Denver game that I thought were quite good, uh, especially in the run game as well, helping out there. But uh, it, it, it goes further than that. You know, 
the safety position has been the worst part of the 49ers defense for the last couple of years. You know, Tart is good when he plays. Uh, he has some some issues, but he's also been constantly injured. He seems to be stepping more into that leadership role, becoming more of that safety net and making the big plays. You know, I mentioned the tackle for for loss earlier, but then there's the free safety position. That's really the question mark. And where I want to go next is who do you think should start there? Because you got three potentials. You have Ward, who still hasn't been able to make it back, but could step in there. You got Moore, who has swapped back to playing safety like he did in college and is reportedly pretty much taken over the number one role while Ward is out. And then you have Colbert, who has shown flashes like he has in the past, hasn't quite put it together because he's also had some boneheaded plays where he takes bad angles or makes a mistake. And now he's also got a hamstring issue that he's got to deal with. Who would you like to see out of those three step into that role? Levin, I really struggled over this one and I was eating dinner tonight. <laughs> uh, I, I kept moving people around and scratching my head. And, you know, aside from the interior offensive line, the safety position, as you just mentioned, is probably one of the more questionable position groups on the field. Um, Colbert's penalty against Dallas last weekend just kind of soured me a little bit. Uh, it, it was unnecessary. I watched it a couple times, uh, you know, on the broadcasting. It was like, he, it, you don't need to do that as a veteran on week one of the preseason. You don't, you're, you're going to make the squad. And I just thought that was a real, it was unnecessary and it's not a leadership move. Um, right. Jimmy Ward, for me, it's, he hasn't, he's shown flashes of great, but he's shown too many signs of, he doesn't know what he's doing. Um, again, right. I go back to the diagrams. I've seen him literally get turned around on basic routes, an in route, just a basic in or a, a dig, whatever you'd like to call it. From what I can tell and what I can read uh, right now, I'd like to see Tavarius Moore take it. He's had the most, I think the second most snaps among active safeties in the preseason. I think he's at 121. Uh, he's put the time and effort in. Uh, I liked Tart in that uh, strong safety role coming down in the box. You've pointed out earlier, it's kind of funny, you pointed out that, that tackle for a loss where he knifed through uh, the A-gap uh, and took down the back. I like him there, but you're also correct. He's had a couple of injuries. So I think the bigger question is, what does the, the team do with, with Colbert if it ends up being more at, at the, as the starter and Ward as the backup? It's interesting because Colbert is also valuable in special teams because mm. he he does have great speed. He's uh, pretty powerful. You know, he can hit like a linebacker, and he does pretty well when he plays there in special teams. But if he's not going to be the starter, you brought back Ward uh, because of the potential he has and what he's shown. But also, you know, there was a quote after he was re-signed from. Um, I forget which coach, but uh, they were talking about how, I actually think it was John Lynch, talking about how he stepped into a leadership role and he really became kind of the vocal leader of the defense last season and, and kind of helped lead. And if that's true, there's, I just don't see him getting cut. Uh, I think it's highly unlikely unless he just can't make it back from this injury or, or has a setback. 
um, as close as he is to coming back right now. So I think he he's safe, and Moore is obviously safe because he seems like the starter at this point. There's got to be a cut somewhere that is unfortunate. It's a player with potential, but this team's just too deep now all across the board. You know, the defensive line, it's quite likely the team's going to keep 10 defensive linemen. You know, the wide receivers, uh, which we'll talk about later, they might have to keep six. The running backs, they might have to keep four. They got to make a difficult cut somewhere. To me, that Colbert's going to be, is quite likely to be one of them because if he's not going to be the starter, you just can't afford to have him when you already have a backup sitting there in Ward if Ward's not starting or more if Moore's not starting. And you also have somebody like Harris who could slide over there um, and fill in a free safety if, if he was needed. So, it's hard. I predicted that Colbert would step in and really shine and take over that free safety role while Ward was out injured and be be the starter. But to me, he's looking like a cut at this point. Yeah, and Harris even had a uh, he had a sack I think late in the game uh, that was set up by. I wish I had I could flip through my notebook and not ruin the noise. But I know he had a sack uh, late in the second half. Um, which was impressive. And again, not that Colbert couldn't do it, but kind of came out of nowhere. And I was like, oh, yeah, Marcel Harris, what are we going to do with him too? So <laughs> it's certainly uh, uh, the safety position is going to be real interesting over the next couple weeks. Yeah, I see them keeping uh, Tart, Harris, Moore, and Ward, and they'll let Exum and Colbert go, knowing that uh, they they have a chance of bringing one of them back if they need to due to injury, you know, maybe both of them get picked up by another team, but chances are one of them will be sitting out there. Uh, if an injury happens early in the season, um, they can always be brought back, but I guess we'll see. I mean, it, it is still very much up in the air. I think that's probably the position on the team that is still our starting position on the team that is still the most, uh, unknown and hardest to predict at this point. but transitioning into another position that's very hard to predict might be the hardest to call in terms of who's going to be cut and that's the wider receiver position uh it, it was kind of a weird game you know for the wide receivers because uh Jalen Hurd didn't do much reportedly had a little bit of back tightness uh Debo Samuel had a big run but didn't do much as an actual receiver and then you have the guys that are on the bubble like Kendrick Bourne, well, he scored a touchdown on a great reception, but he also dropped a 50-yard pass that should have been an easy catch. And you had Richie James, who did great in the return game, but only had one catch as a receiver. As far as the bubble goes, if you had to pick right now between Kendrick Bourne and Richie James, who would you pick? I think that's the biggest question for me right now. James, and only because of his, uh, his threat as a return man. That that uh, kickoff return he had, I was like, okay, you know, if that's gonna if that's gonna set you aside, I mean, Raheem Mostert did that a couple years ago to make the squad as a special teams guy, and he's built a resume for himself. If James is the can be the return guy, I'd rather take take a, a guy with a couple uh, more tools in his uh, in his uh, in his toolbox than um, somebody who's I hate to say it dropping uh, forty five yard passes. 
But of note, I, I, uh, it, was a it was a tough game for the receivers. The leading receiver for the 49ers was Raheem Mostert with two catches for 42 yards. Right. Uh, to me, was just like I had to double check, double check that stat, and I thought, wow, that, that was a rough game for the receiving core. Right, and even more than Jimmy Garoppolo, I think that was the, mo the thing I was most disappointed about because that was the thing I was most excited to watch coming into the game. Okay, I want to watch these receivers and see if somebody can separate. And then it was pretty much a dud across the board. Um, not that they necessarily played terribly, but the pass protection was so horrible uh, that it was hard to get anything going in the passing game. And the few in instances that they had a chance, like Kendrick Bourne, and he, he dropped a big pass, which is unfortunate for him. Uh, I, I, I kind of side with you that uh, Richie James is going to make it because of his return ability. And I, I was surprised in Monday's game that he was the only one to get a return. And mm -hmm. that, to me, I think is a sign that he's going to be on this team because if he was truly very close to being cut or even maybe on the outside at this point, the 49ers would be getting somebody else to return at times, but they're not. So far, Richie James is the one that's returning the kickoffs and he's returned, I believe, on Monday, he was the only one to have a punt return. So if he's the only one doing it, he's not going to be cut. You're correct. He had uh, three for 19 yards. So right. yeah, you're spot on. Good, good so, memory. To me, that's a sure sign of where this coaching staff is at with him. If, if he was somebody that, that was a 50-50 shot even at this point of making the team, wouldn't you have somebody else? trying to re return, you know, not necessarily punts, because I know Pettis has done it some, and obviously Trent Taylor would be a backup uh, or a fallback there and may might even be the primary when he gets back healthy uh, as a punt returner. But on kick returns, why wouldn't somebody else be getting some experience kick returning if Richie James was looking like a cut to the coaching staff? That's a great observation. But maybe both of them make it. Maybe, maybe it's Matthews who's on the, on the outside. It's so hard to read. It's both a good thing and a bad thing to me. This coaching staff, they're not as upfront as uh, somebody like Harbaugh might have been. Harbaugh tended, tended to say it how it was if he wasn't liking what a player was doing. And Shannon tends to use a lot more coach, coach speak, as they say. Um, but it's also good because it's kind of good to keep everything in-house. We don't have all the leaks that used to happen. But man, yeah, as a fan on the outside looking in, it, it, it can be frustrating at times to... It's so little info and so so little ability to read where these wide receivers and players at other positions are sitting right now. You almost this Saturday want to see Shanahan go away from the run. I mean, that the, the 49ers rushed for 185 yards on Monday and just go strictly to the pass just to see what he can get from these men. And, you know, what, is the, what do they look like? What do you look like running an intermediate route? Where are you on this dig route? Where are you in this executioner route? Uh, can you run the swirl? You know, they almost want to flip the game script. It's not good when the uh, the your your leading receiver is your running back and your quarterback only throw for 108 yards. So I kind of wonder if he will flip the script to see what he can what he can do with his uh, receiver core. And I think that that was partly it, uh, not his decision. I think he did want to do more in the passing game, but uh, that, that Denver defense was just getting in the backfield left and right. 
And at a certain point, it's not worth the risk anymore. And that brings me to the offensive line. The pass protection is terrible. The run game, yeah, they're they're great. And that's tends to be what, what the 49ers have sought. They've sought the guys who are capable of running this zone blocking scheme and getting out ahead of runners and running to make the uh, make the blocks further downfield. But pass protection, oh boy. <laughs> There's no way to sugarcoat it. Uh, it. It was terrible in the Denver game. To me, it, it's a major concern. By far the biggest concern of the offense. Is, is it a big concern to you too? Well, I'm an, I'm an offensive line junkie. Give me offensive line breakdowns and uh, blocks and schemes over route trees any day of the week. <laughs> um, you, you noted that Steely had, had said on that uh, Chubb uh, stunt that there was a miscommunication on the line. And I'm, I'm curious what it was to me. It looked like a, like a scat protection with the, with breeder running free. Um, but it was clear that Staley and Tomlinson had something or did not hear something go right, whether they should have had a duo call um, or it was something that, that I'm totally unaware of, which is entirely possible. Um, but I, I rarely see Joe Staley just get the doors blown off him like he's not moving. And <laughs> that's what Chubb did. That was, that was a tough, that was tough. Um, I think it's also important to note that this was Tomlinson's first live action since coming off his MCL injury. And that's not blaming him, that's but, good point. Um, you know, sometimes those guys, it, it, you injure any, your, your knee or a shoulder and you come back to a full contact sport, you might take that step back for a minute and be like, wait a minute, I got to feel this out again. It's, it's a little different than practice. These guys are, are now coming at me and, you know, Denver's first team defense, those 11 plays that the, the projected first team offensive line played uh, Denver's first team defense looked like they wanted to play a hundred percent. And the 49ers first team offensive line looked like they just wanted to get a few easy series in and then go choose some sunflower seeds. <laughs> and, uh, it showed and I, you know, I feel bad for him, but at the same time, it's, it's like guys, Denver really, really pokes some holes in the line. So um, I'm with you though, that, that I'm always concerned about the offensive line. I, I've noted in a number of articles, if I was going to build a team, build a team, I'm starting up front, but that's me. Um, that might not be some of our listeners. It might not be you, um, but it concerns me that, the depth after those starters, there's just not a lot there. Torrance had three holding calls in two games. Uh, Garland didn't knock my socks off at center. Um, somehow, I would wish we had a better view of it, but somehow he found a way to bring Tevin Coleman down on a short run in the first quarter. He <laughs> flat out ran into him. Um, Justin Schooley, the uh, rookie from Vanderbilt. Chubb just embarrassed him as well on a stunt off the edge. Um, so that's going to embarrass even (laughs) offensive linemen. (laughs) That's true. But, uh, the argument I have sometimes with, with people is, well, you know, it doesn't matter who the swing tackle is. He's not going to play. Okay. That's fair. But the swing tackle is going to face a guy like Chubb, you know, if the starting tackle gets hurt and if the swing tackle can't block him, you might as well not have a swing tackle. Then that was been my that was my my uh, uh, argument against bringing a guy like Gary Gillum back. Gillum never showed that he could block a guy like Chubb. So what are you going to do if if uh, 
if McGlinchey's down with a high ankle sprain for two weeks. That's those are the things that concern me. So it's not only the starters, but the men behind them. And I don't know. I'd be curious your thoughts on the uh, the reserves as well. Well, just to make a quick point there, anybody who's saying it doesn't matter because they're the bench player, they're not going to play, clearly doesn't follow the 49ers because there's a lot of backups <laughs> playing through the injuries. That's true. That's very true. <laughs> so it doesn't matter what position they play. Uh, it's important they can do their job because chances are they're going to be in at some point. But as far as the offensive line, I, I think that is the thing that could end up being the Achilles heel to the 49ers season. Um, I do think it was a tough matchup. Uh, Denver's ability to pressure the quarterback might be the best in the league. Um, and I also think that they were kind of at a disadvantage because that defense got a couple practices to see what the 49ers were doing and get an idea of how to uh, do a bit of game, gamesmanship in the preseason because, you know, in the regular season, you're going to have full on schemes. There's going to be a lot more to it. In the preseason, it, there's still some scheming, but it's gets closer to the backyard football. But uh, a defense can really gain an advantage if they truly have some uh, disguises and they, they send out blitzes because the offenses aren't really all prepared for that. They don't necessarily have the same protection schemes that they would in the regular season. And we, we've already seen that this preseason with the Arizona and Oakland preseason game where Oakland was blitzing eight guys at Carlin Murray just out of spite. <laughs> uh, Denver wasn't quite in that uh, realm of it, but uh, I, I do think it was a little bit of gamesmanship to be sending uh, Chubb into areas and purposely blitzing in spots that they probably knew from practice could lead to a miscommunication and a, a free run at the quarterback. Um, but it is definitely the biggest concern. Um, I think if the the presumed starting five of McGlinchey, Person, Richburg, uh, Tomlinson, and Staley, I think if they can remain healthy, the offensive line will be good enough. Uh, it will struggle at times against the pass. It will struggle uh, against teams that have outside linebackers who can truly get after the quarterback. That seems to be something that uh, that that. 49ers offensive line particularly struggles with but if they can stay healthy they'll be good enough and and allow that offense to take off and and be the offense that you would expect uh, a Shanahan led team to have but if there's even one injury I'm not confident in any of the backups I would absolutely agree with you on your the backups for the 49ers are borderline borderline not worthy of being on any NFL roster <laughs> I mean, the the backups, there's, there's some that, yeah, okay, they could be, uh, you know, the bottom of an offensive line roster for an NFL team, but they're the main backup. And it's not like our offensive line has all these guys that are safe bets to play all 16 games either. So it, it is, to me, by far the biggest concern I have about the team. Uh, yeah, and I would agree with you on your... Uh, on the front five, the starting five, I think they've played together, you know, uh, the bulk of last season, uh, obviously Richburg missed some games. Um, but I believe Staley and Tomlinson have played well over. See, Tomlinson's played uh, 2,070 snaps in two seasons with the 49ers. So he's played that long next to Staley. I mean, I can't imagine what it's like when those two are on. 
you know, they must be able to communicate a, a, a call, a switch, uh, whatever, without even looking at one another. Um, and that's the kind of stuff I think that people don't realize is that's why you want a cohesive offensive line. You don't want to piecemeal it together. You want right. these five men that, that, that can literally just, you know, Richburg looks down the line and gives a nod and a snort and everybody knows, okay, we're switching this to two jet protection and we're good to go. Um, right. And that's, that's something I think a lot of people don't understand is how often the protect protection changes uh, while they've already broken huddle and they're sitting on the line and they see what the defense is doing. That's something that changes all the time. And it takes, like you said, a cohesive unit to be able to make those adjustments and everybody know what their objective is. Spot on. I totally agree. And as far as that goes, that's one of the things that uh, I'm most worried about is Richburg's return. He wasn't very good last year. He's, Still not returned at this point from an off-season injury. And when he does, is he going to be able to seamlessly reintegrate himself into that offensive line? That's, a, that's one of the things I've been concerned about. I remember a number of seasons ago, I believe I think it was Peyton Manning missed the preseason. I could be wrong on this, and I'm sure we'll get corrected. <laughs> uh, but he didn't play those four games, and he just kind of showed up week one, and he was way off. And it took a minute or two to, for him, you know, by a minute or two, I mean a week or two, to get reacclimated to the speed of the NFL. And that's a, that's a great observation, Levin, is, is, is Richburg, can, can he just show up and, and step into contact? Because he had the damaged knee and the, and the damaged quad because of it. And, uh, boy, that makes me take a step back and think, you know, are, are you going to be up to, up to par or above par where you were playing with the Giants? when you come back. And that's, yeah, that's one of the many unknowns is, uh, as we get closer to week one. Yeah. And you also have to think about the, the center quarterback exchange and relationship is an underrated one in the NFL. Uh, there has to be a lot of comfort level there. And when you actually get down and think about it, Jimmy Garoppolo and Richburg have only played three games together. Mm. That's, that's a good point. <laughs> it's a lot. It's something I, I don't see mentioned a whole lot, and something I didn't even really occur to me until a few weeks ago. Those two really haven't had all that much experience playing together, and that is a a relationship that's extremely important. 49ers offensive line is a little bit different because a lot of times your center is going to be the one that calls out the adjustments. Uh, I don't think that's really the case with the 49ers. Um, uh, actually, not 100% sure on that, but I don't think Richburg was the one calling out the assignment changes last season. No, I don't. I think you're. I think you're correct. I think the adjustment comes from the, but the the quarterback. But I, I, I think we are. I understand exactly what you're saying. So, then um, that's a really good point. I didn't think of that either. They only played three games together. So that does it does need a lot of you. Just again, can you just jump into it and everybody's going to be um, good to go and at a hundred percent and comfortable with one another. That's a great question. Very good question. Yeah. And that's why it's important. He gets back, uh, as soon as possible. I mean, the sooner he gets back, the sooner he can start to develop that relationship with Garoppolo and reintegrate himself into the offensive line. Cause yeah, the, the coaches are the same, but there's always changes, you know, in an off season adjustments or audibles change, you know, different things like that, that 
he needs to get practice at. He needs practice being in that offensive line and playing next to those guys again. I think I read he's, he's day-to-day, so fingers crossed. Right. That's one, I'm, I'm hoping he can get back. I don't think there's any chance he plays on Saturday because it's such a quick turnaround. Oh, yeah, no way. And, and I, I don't think it's going to be a, a case of, okay, he practiced one day, he'll play on Saturday. That, that's not the 49ers' MO. But I think he does absolutely need to be able to play in that final preseason game, which normally your starters don't really play in the fourth preseason game. For the 49ers, some some of that's going to be changed because some of the starters haven't been able to play in preseason yet, and Richburg is one of them. But before we get to the fourth preseason game, we should talk about the third one coming up on Saturday. It is a quick turnaround, as I mentioned. It's also the Chiefs, which it's a bit ironic that we're going to start talking about Jimmy Garoppolo playing the Chiefs. A little bit of a sore subject because that's the team <laughs> he got injured playing against. But how much do you want to see Jimmy play in that game? Because as I mentioned earlier, Shanahan said he wished he could have played Garoppolo more, but he was scared of him getting hurt. Well, now they're playing the Chiefs, and Garoppolo clearly didn't play well in preseason game number two, first one for him. How much would you play him in this game? Well, I I agree with you on this whole we're playing Kansas City in Kansas City in the preseason. I'm kind of curious what football god the 49ers (laughs) anchored to pull this this card this I just when this came out I thought gosh that is not I don't like this but you know nobody including Shanahan as we've said a, a couple times nobody likes the idea of exposing your starters but it's pretty clear those projected starting 11 men uh, with those immediate backups need some in-game work so I hate to say it but they probably need to play the half at least the first half um, Jimmy included uh, I, I'm less concerned about Garoppolo's stat line, uh, you know, I would like to see him come out with, you know, 50% completion rating, maybe in 95 yards in the air. But I want to see what kind of passes he can complete. I want to see him hit those short passes. I want to see him hit a deep out route. Uh, Shanahan calls it a bench. Um, yeah. Can he hit that pylon route? Can he hit a clear route? Can he hit a, th- a through route to his wide receivers? Uh, can he get to that? Uh, you know, we don't know what the third or fourth read is, but can he get to that read? Um, he, he know, I think Garoppolo noted in his post-game press conference about getting into a groove and getting a first down. You know, I, unfortunately, Shanahan's going to have to let him do that and to get that confidence. That's what I would want to see him do is get those get those first downs. Um, at least from him, that's what I would like to see. And unfortunately, I'd like to see him play 30 minutes. So um, that's it's a tough call. I, I, I wouldn't want to do, I don't want, I'm glad I don't have to make it, but that's where I'm at. Yeah, and I kind of fall into the same line. I, I think at a certain point, I understand Shanahan's trepidation of playing and exposing Garoppolo any more than he has to, but I think uh, preseason game number two proved that Garoppolo needs it. You can't keep the training wheels on. He needs game time. He needs to find his rhythm again. Uh, I think there could be a little bit of a confidence issue after the, how that game went. You need to get him in there, get him some easy completions, get his confidence going, uh, play 
I would prefer to see him play the whole half. I would be surprised if he does, just not Shanahan's MO. Um, but you need to play him at least long enough to get a good drive uh, and get some completions to get himself going. But I think there's an underrated part of this that it's not just Garoppolo coming back from injury. That's not the only reason that he needs to play more. You also got to look at the receivers the Niners are going to be counting on. Mm-hmm. You had a second-year player in Pettis that last season they were talking about how he's really adept at, at getting open, but he moves in an unorthodox manner, and you got to get the timing down. And that takes practice, and that takes game time where you're playing against another uh, person going full out to get that timing down. And then you got two other predominantly for the 49ers, most likely in Hurd and, and Debo Samuel. Jimmy Garoppolo needs game experience to get the timing and get the relationship down with those. You don't want to go into week one when the games start counting and Garoppolo hasn't had time to build that rapport with his receiving core. And I think it's just time that Shanahan at a certain point has to roll a dice and say, it's football. If Jimmy's going to get hurt, he's going to get hurt. He needs to play because if he doesn't play, he's not going to be ready for season one or for week one. Right. I, you know, Beathard had that great 70 yard or 70, seven play 70 yard drive in the third quarter. I'd love to see Garoppolo get that. Just something, just something like that. Like, just like you said, get that rhythm, get that groove, get that confidence. And even if the stat lines, Oh, he only threw for 30 yards on that drive. Who cares? That's a, that's good. You know, you were in that, you were a lap, that, that drive was elapsed for five minutes or six minutes and it took X number of minutes off the clock. I want to see that. That's a lot more important than just going out there and, you know, trying to throw for 150 yards in a preseason game. Yeah. I, I would like to see, uh, you know, maybe a wide receiver screen or something to start the game just to get a completion <laughs> and get the first positive yard, uh, assuming it doesn't get blown up or anything like that. But, as in terms of other things that you're watching for in that game, and we can stick with quarterbacks for, for a second here. Uh, you mentioned Beathard and that uh, nice drive, but overall a pretty mediocre game. Uh, he played a majority of the game. He had some moments. He had some not-so-great moments. Uh, do you think at this point there's any chance of him becoming the number two quarterback and beating out Mullins? Or do you think that's settled? I will never question C.J. Beathard's toughness. Uh, that when he stepped in for Hoyer and just yeah. got the snot beat out of him for the, the rest of that uh, was at the 17 season, and he kept getting back up and getting back up and getting back up. I thought, wow, this guy, you know, he is Wolverine. He can <laughs> just he can he must be self healing. Uh, I expected a lot of him after he stepped in for Garoppolo last season, but it, it, he still doesn't look fast enough for this century's NFL. He looks slow. Uh, he, I noted on one of the plays, I believe it was the out route he hit to his tight end. Uh, I don't remember when it was, but it was a 13-yard, 14-yard gain. This, the wide receiver ran an, ran an out route, a bench route. From what I could tell from the broadcast, Beathard's still staring down his primaries. And it happened last year, too. I, you know, it happened against the Cardinals. He had juice on, on a rail route up the right sideline, and he's staring down 
uh, Kittle on the through or the seam route. So that's the thing that, that I'm like, God, you just don't, you just don't look like you've got it. I kind of felt bad for Mullins because he ended up playing with some of the third team guys. But Mullins, when he stepped on the field last year, it was like, oh, you've got that spark. You know, you could kind of tell you've got that fire. And even in the preseason game, I caught him, you know, uh, you know, trying to get the, the play faster from the sidelines. And it's like, gosh, man, you are a competitor. And I just don't see that from Bethard. So I think it's Mullins. And the question is, is it Mullins at two? And the question is, is do you trade Bethard? What do you do with him? Is he valuable elsewhere? Unfortunately, can you get him for uh, an interior player? Can you get him for a future pick? I don't know. I don't, I'd, I, I don't want to say that, but I, you'd hate to see a guy like that being at the third string and, and not getting used. I think at this point, uh, the Niners won't, wouldn't be able to trade him. Uh, I, with the way preseason has gone, mm-hmm. it hasn't gone that great for Beathard. Uh, in the first game, he he shined for the most part. He he had a pretty decent game, not great, but then he had that terrible interception. Mm-hmm. And then in the second preseason game against Denver, I mean, yeah, he he wasn't getting the time of day really to do much of anything. But still, when he did get time of day. Like you said, he, he just doesn't – I think he's mentally capable. He's not one of these quarterbacks who can't make the reads, can't, can't process fast enough. Um, I think he's capable of it. He just seems to get stuck on being scared to let her go. Mm-hmm. He's so scared of making a mistake that he can't let it rip. He can't see it and, and move and say, okay, I'm going to anticipate – I can see how this wide receiver is set up and I'm going to start throwing before he makes his cut. So I'm going to trust that he's going to get open on a, on a, you know, comeback or, or whatever, or, you know, an out route. He doesn't anticipate. He, he's so scared of making a mistake that he's not going to trust his receivers to make a good route, make a good cut and get that sliver of separation. He waits until they make the cut and he sees them open. But as, Anybody who'll tell you, if you see that he's open after the cut, it's too late. Yep. The corner is going to close. And he's making the same mistakes that he made as a rookie. He hasn't progressed. And to me, I, I think a lot of Niners fans especially go, well, he was a third-round pick, and he's, a, he's not far removed from a third-round pick. He, he has some trade value. Well, what has he done? He, yeah. he looked okay, he showed a little bit of potential as a rookie. But then he didn't progress whatsoever in his second year. And I would argue may even looked a little bit worse in his second year. Um, and then you get into the third year, and he's making those same exact mistakes in his third year. He hasn't progressed. He's not having a good preseason. Uh, from the practice reports, it's clear that Mullins has done better in training camp than Beathard, which isn't to say Beathard had a terrible training camp. Uh, from what I read from some of the beat reporters, uh, they said, you know, he didn't have a bad training camp. He just didn't really stand out at all. Whereas Mullen said some standout moments. And if you're on the outside looking in as a, another team, you got to say, well, if Shanahan can't develop him, who can? Mm, that's a good, that's a good point. I didn't think of that. That That's what I keep coming back to. 
if you're if you're another team and you're going, well, hey, we see the physical tools, maybe we can make something out of them. You know, we we rated. You know, teams get stuck on what they rated a quarterback or a, a draftee from the years ago when when they were coming out of the draft. You know, say say they they looked at him and said. Well, we rated him as a fourth-round quarterback, and we still see the physical tools. Let's see if we can get him for a seventh-round pick. I see teams going, well, he hasn't developed, and he has the best offensive mind as his coach. If you can't develop with him, who? why would we trade a draft pick to see if he can develop with us? Let's wait and see if they cut him. And then <clears throat> pick him up that way or train him for intel and then keep him for a couple weeks and see you later. Yeah, I, I I don't think Bethard can get to the practice squad. There's been I've seen that sometimes on Twitter that well, I mean, the good news is if we cut him, he can just join our practice squad. Now, some team will pick him up. You know. Yeah. Even if that some team is the Seahawks like they like to do, pick up a guy for 2 weeks, pump him for information and release him, you know. <laughs> Not really have any shot of making the roster. They just want to sign him to figure out what he learned about how the Niners are planning on playing. Uh, but I see some team out there signing him and have him as a backup to see if they can develop him. I just don't see a team out there willing to trade a draft pick. The only team that I could even see as a possibility, which is ironic because the Niners just played them, is Denver, and that's just because their offensive coordinator just came from the 49ers. Maybe he was, maybe he's still a Beathard fan. Maybe he saw enough in those joint practices to say, Hey, let's go ahead and get him, which should be mentioned. Uh, the backup, uh, drawing a blank right now, the rookie that they just drafted, Den- Denver's rookie just got injured. Yeah, just got injured, and he's going to be out for a little while. So maybe that does open the door to a trade, but I don't, I just don't see it. I, you know, I, that's what I had hoped. Uh, it was one of the predictions I made uh, prior to training camp starting that I thought Mullins would be the number two that Shanahan already sees Mullins as the number two, and he's just not willing to say it because he's trying to recoup trade value for Beathard. And I even said that I think Beathard's going to play a lot in the preseason in hopes that he does really well and they can get something in trade for him. And I think that's why he did play a majority of uh, Monday's game, but it's just not working out. He's not looking good to me. He's not looking horrendous, but he's just not looking good. And if you're in another team, why would you trade for somebody that's not looking good? Yeah, yeah, just not a. He's not a. He's not looking like a third year vet should. And that's, I think that that sums it up quite nicely, actually. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and I think we can leave it with that. But before we wrap this uh, this podcast up, what else are you looking for in Saturday? What other positions or what other aspects are you interested in looking for? Uh, just a, I made a couple bullets. Uh, Offensively, no matter who's behind center, I'd like to see a, a, a better third down effectiveness. The Niners' offense was two of eleven on Monday on third down. Um, defensively, uh, I, if I was Robert Sala, the game doesn't count. Don't put Solomon Thomas on the edge. Play him at a three technique the whole game and see what happens. The game doesn't count. What's the worst that's going to happen? That you figure out what pretty much everybody already knows that he's better inside. Um, so I'd like to see that, but that's wishful thinking. Yeah, I don't think I don't see it happening, but <laughs> I wouldn't mind seeing it. It's just not yeah. going to happen. 
uh, I only had Dre Greenlaw's uh, name down in my notes once. He he had a great reaction to a quick throw. I believe it was Flacco made to, uh, Flacco made to the right, but that was it. Um, it's not that he played a poor game. It's just that sometimes if you go unnoticed as a rookie, that's not always a good thing. Um, so I'd like to see well, a little bit more what he can do. Um, I'd love to see uh, the defense overall hold Kansas City to under 200 yards passing. I think that'd be an excellent goal for the secondary this week. Um, and I know that uh, we haven't seen much. And again, it's, it's, it's tough to tell from the broadcast view. I didn't note the 49ers defense using the new wide nine look very often. Um, so, you know, obviously you don't want to give everything away right now. Right. But uh, it would be interesting to see a little bit more of that. Just again, just I'm just morbidly curious for the to see what it does with the defense and how, you know, does it does it play a factor? And then finally, uh, cut the penalties in half. Uh, they were 13. <laughs> I think the Niners are flagged 13 times for 101 yards on Monday. I'd love to see that cut to seven or six. So that's where those were my bullet points for um, what else to look for on uh on, on Saturday. I'm, I'm curious what you're looking for. Uh, some of those things that you mentioned, I'm looking for, but the, the one I would add to that that we can finish with is uh, it probably won't happen, but I'm hoping Kansas city plays most of their first string offense. You know, I'm hoping Kelsey's out there and Tyreek Hill is out there while Mahomes is out there so that I can see what Tavarius Moore can do against dominant offensive players like that. I want to see him matched up against uh, a Kelsey, you know, picking him up as, as he goes deep or trying to cover Hill as Hill tries to go deep and get behind him. See if he's aware enough to not let somebody that's as fast as Tyreek Hill, which I will note, not as fast as Matt Breida. He's not the real <laughs> cheetah. <laughs> Matt Breida had a f- faster top speed last year, according to the next-gen stats. But, you know, obviously one of the fastest weapons in the NFL. I want to see if more is aware enough to not allow him to get behind him. I, I want to see that. I don't expect all those offensive weapons to play, but I would still be interested to see more of more and see what he can do. I think that's a, that's a great thing to look for as well. If I'm, you don't mind, I'm going to steal that and add that to my list. <laughs> all right. Works <laughs> for me. Uh, I think that's a good place to wrap this episode up though. Uh, I was uh, happy you could join me here and, help me to make this a little more interesting than just hearing my voice for 45 minutes. Uh, I I enjoyed speaking, speaking with you and hopefully uh, maybe we can get you on here in the future. Uh, I'd I'd love to do it. Thanks again. I appreciate it. Yeah, not a problem. And that will be the end of yet another no huddle podcast here with 49ers web zone. I was your host, Levin black and stay tuned. We'll have another episode coming shortly.